Visa knows that local businesses are the heartbeat of our communities. Whether they're our corner stores, our coffee spots, or our favorite shops, local businesses have always been there for us. They remember our orders. They call us by name. Always giving back, making a difference, and going that extra mile to support us and our community. And right now, more than ever, local businesses need our support. So it's time for us to return the favor. The next time you go shopping, make the choice to shop at local businesses and look for the contactless symbol and tap pay with the contactless visa to help support your community because where and how you shop matters. Visa, everywhere you want to be. Official partner of the NFL. Welcome to the 11 Personnel Podcast, your favorite Rams podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Rodriguez, and with me, as always, is my fabulous co-host, Rich Hammond. Rich, how we doing? Jordan, we got to watch NFL football. Oh, my I, God. I'd, for, I'd forgotten what it was like. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to sound flippant, you know, with all the things that are going on in the world, and there's there's so many serious things, but I did not anticipate how much I would enjoy just I even enjoyed watching that Chargers game, and that was a hard thing to love. Um, but before the Rams came on, that was a, that was a tough game to watch. But I still enjoyed it. And then, uh, of of course, a very exciting Sunday night football game between the Rams and the Cowboys. Your first Rams game, Jordan. What was it like? Um, it was really fast. <laughs> I was thinking. Um, I know that sounds super lame, but I was thinking. First of all, how much I enjoyed just the the act of being there. And I was glad they had a couple scrimmages first because it kind of allowed me to get accustomed to the sheer magnitude that is SoFi Stadium and then sort of focus on what's happening underneath me <laughs> at that point. Um, but one thing is after covering the Ron Rivera-led Panthers and, you know, bless that man and one of my mentors and and just someone I really, really admire. But his football teams did not often play fast. And, <laughs> and, um, and I will say that it took me a second going, you know, especially that opening drive was just so slick. And, you know, I, I know that they play on a script with their openers, but like it just was so slick and it moved so quickly. And I was like, oh, Whoa, things are happening. I should I should shake <laughs> off the rest. So um it was really, really fun for me. Obviously, Rams beat the Cowboys twenty to seventeen. Uh I know there's some controversy being discussed in Dallas. What did you think of that ending, Rich? Yeah, it look, I, I didn't think it was offensive pass interference. I'll be honest with you. You know, I, I think um there was contact there and, and I think Jalen Ramsey did a good job of uh, could say selling it I guess he, he kind of he reacted and uh, sometimes you react to the to the reaction if you're the official but look I, I've said it you can you can go back to the you know the NFC championship game the Ram Saints and and that's a big call uh, if you're looking at one play then that, that means you've done something wrong like one one play should not be the determinant of a game and uh, you know I should I know you saw the reaction on Twitter too and and uh, Rams fans rightfully pointing out that, okay, you want to take issue with that one, then then how about, you know, Jared Goff getting smacked in the face when, when he threw an interception? Right. And totally valid point, you know, just because one happens in the fourth quarter and the other happens earlier in the game, uh, it doesn't make one more important than the other. So, 
you know, uh, probably a 50-50 call. But uh, again, if, if you're looking at one play, then then I think you're looking at the game wrong. Yeah, I think earlier on, they left so many points on the board in the first half with some of their red zone issues, right? And so that was something that I, I had a big issue with, not only the missed kick by a one Samuel Sloman, who did get it together later in the game. But I'll tell you what, when you hear a doink in an empty stadium, it's like... <laughs> I can't even probably, you know, I, as like, I write for a living and I can't even properly describe just like the soul suckingness of what that is. (laughs) Just It came came through on TV. (laughs) I don't know if you've seen the replay of it, but it was just sitting here. It was like, it was like, I don't even know how to describe it. It was like somebody hit an aluminum trash can or something. (laughs) Like it was just this giant bang coming through the TV. And I'm like, wow. Like, was that like, like a, what is what was that football made out of? God. It was like a metal football or it was something. Rough. It was just, poor Samuel uh, Sloman, but he did he did make a couple good kicks. There. Yeah, he did, and that one was just so rough. And it was even rougher because um, you know he got the first chance to kind of make something happen here, and obviously going against Greg Zerline, that's big, and and people comparing the two and all of that. So that's interesting. Um, but yeah, no, I had some issues with their red zone efficiency. Um, you know, they only were successful with touchdowns twice. Um, and or they only, they were, they went two for five now that I can describe it more accurately um, in the red zone. <laughs> and that was, that was something I think, I think that's a huge problem. You need to obviously pick up that efficiency because if you're leaving those points that, I mean, that, that game could have, they could have had at least 10 more points. So it shouldn't have been that close at the end. Um, I, I agree and I disagree with you on the OPI. I think that um, you, I definitely saw a screen grab of an outstretched and completely straight arm on the receiver's part. I think Jalen also did a good job of doing what he needed to do to make sure that it was recognized by the ref at that point. On the, at the same time, I think it was a little bit of a makeup call. Now, here's the thing. If you win the game, that's fine. If you're the winning team, you take it, you move on, you think, holy crap, we don't want to have to get lucky. Um, we don't have to, we don't want to have to leave it up to, to human error. I do think it was a little bit of a makeup call because of that like egregious miss on Jared Goff where he like ate a chunk of Alden Smith's forearm um, and threw that interception, which did lead to points. <laughs> and this game would not have been this tight if, um, you yeah. know, if they were able to finish like, like in all likelihood finish that drive. They had some very positive momentum at that point. So, that, you know, that would have always, that would have definitely changed things. Um, you know, I, I do want to get into this idea of human error here, or, you know, you could argue it either way. I guess if you're in Dallas, you're arguing that it was human error. If you're in Los Angeles, you're saying, cool. But, you know, that, that sort of opportunity, uh, that shot downfield that Dallas took, if, you know, if that flag doesn't fly, then you could be looking at a tied game or a Rams loss. And it all kind of goes back to Sean McVay's decision to punt on fourth and one at his 49 yard line. Yeah, I didn't 
I didn't like that. I actually didn't like the third down call either. No. <laughs> Not that we're going to talk about that a, a whole lot, but I, it was a, you know kind of like a, a pitch play with Malcolm Brown, I guess, to the left, and I just looked at that and I went, uh, I don't, I don't know. But yeah, it's I, I totally get, and 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 I know Sean, you know, to talk to the beat reporters and. You can look at it the other way and say, "Okay, it's a statement of confidence in the defense," and and I understand that too. But but when you have a, a proactive chance there to just put the game away, like that's it, one play, that's it, one yard, that's all you need, and the game is over. Um, I, I I think you have to show a little bit more more confidence. Uh, the Rams didn't have any negative rushing plays the entire game, so the the likelihood that they were going to have one in that scenario probably pretty low. And, and you just need one yard to clinch the game. So it, it's a tough call, especially when you're a head coach there. You've got about, what, about, about 10, 15 seconds uh, to make that decision. So I'm not saying it's an easy decision, but I would have I would have run the ball. How about you? You know, I don't think it was a hard decision. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not trying to sound like a jerk because I obviously could not do that job. Coaching is extremely hard. And I want to get into this here in a minute because – I absolutely hate this part of what our job is, which is criticizing decisions that we certainly will never have the opportunity to make ourselves. Um, right. So I hate that part. But I will say that I don't think that's a tough decision to to go for it in that regard. I think, and this is coming from someone, I, I love punters. Like a good coffin corner punt, oh my gosh, the tingles, you know? <laughs> but like... <laughs> But like, I really, you know, I really think that that's a no brainer. Now, Sean McVay said he really trusted the defense. He had some great, um, you know, he was really confident in in what they were going to be able to do. He liked the momentum he felt from the defense. He liked the flow. I think that's fine. And it shows confidence in that group. Sure. And that's fine. Um, however, it also, if you're looking at it from the other side of the coin, it also shows a lack of confidence in your offense. Right. And and again, statistically, like you said, the lack of negative plays that they had at that point was really, really important when you factor everything in together. And then you factor in, you know, our good friends at EDJ Sports, which is the same analytics consulting firm that works with football outsiders, our, our friend Aaron Schatz, who was on the podcast the other week and is like probably one of the smartest people in football. Um, you know, they sent over some great statistics today. Not maybe not so great if you're if you're Sean McVay. Um, so they named Sean McVay that call. They like, like listen, guys. They won the game, and they still named Sean McVay's call in that moment the worst coaching decision of the week. But it was based specifically off of um, the loss of metric win probability percentage. So so basically, they calculated that it would that 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 decision to punt instead of go for it on fourth and one at the 49 within that time situation with the score the way that it was, they found that the win probability decreased by 18% at that point. That's a huge drop if you're in a three-point game. <laughs> That's like a major drop. Right. And it went from an almost a sure thing because the Rams convert 70% of their short yardage plays in that regard and they can get two or more yards on their short yardage plays they found you know 80 to 90 percent of the time so they really went from a 99 percent win probability down to you know down like 20 percent and then 
they gave us all these all sorts of fascinating numbers on on you know what the what the situationals would have be, been so like if they if they did get the conversion and they went for it 99% win probability if they failed that to get that first down you know it drops to a 52% win probability um, and if Dallas had to take over at the nine yard line, they still would have a 69% win probability. So there's really like in terms of risk reward, there's no reason why they shouldn't have gone for it. If that makes sense. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You just, it's, it's what, what, what's the most likely scenario if you make that decision or, or what's the percentage chances of, of winning? And yeah, I, I, I agree. It's, it's, I, I would go for that you know, 10 times out of 10. The, the thing that made me laugh, Jordan, a little bit about that, uh, those rankings is that the, the Chargers, Anthony Lynn, he got credit for making the best decision of the week when it came to, I think, going forward on a, on a fourth down. And he also got dinged for having the second worst decision <laughs> behind Sean McVay. So not, not everybody is uh, perfect. So the same guy who made the best decision also made the second worst decision. So a lot of it is feel, you know, and, yeah. and some of it can be too just having a sense of, hey, is my defense tired? You know, did I just lose a cornerback to an injury or something like that? Or, you know, do I not have my starting center and I shouldn't be trying to sneak the ball on fourth and one? So, I mean, I think there's things like that that can kind of, uh, you know, make a determination beyond just the, the pure numbers. But I think the Rams are in a situation there where there was no there was no real reason to think they couldn't pick up a yard. Right. I mean, they've, they've got a great, uh, you know, short yardage back in Malcolm Brown, who was clearly getting the job done. Um, so, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, clearly the fear is there. You don't, if they, if the Cowboys get the stop there, they have a ton of momentum. They have a ton of time. They're all fired up. Uh, but uh, even all that considered, I think if you need one yard to win the game, uh, I, I think you make that call 10 times out of 10. Yeah, I think this is not such a huge thing in the context of, of this game, especially because they got bailed out by that OPI call. Um, again, though, if they if they um, don't get bailed out by that OPI and they had given they had just handed the ball over via punt to the Cowboys and they are able to get down the field in that massive a chunk of of uh, of a throw and they don't get that flag, which, again, is accounting for human error or correctness, which you can't fully account for at any given moment because it's all biases and preconceived notions and things like that. If the ref doesn't flow that, throw that flag because he's a human being and let's say he either made a mistake or didn't make a mistake, whatever side you're on with it, right. he doesn't throw the flag while the Cowboys can set up a field goal with this insanely accurate under, what is it, like 40 kicker that they have. Um right. And then, or they can, you know, go down and score. And that, and and he had space, like he had some space. Michael Gallup had some room on Jalen yep. Ramsey, so that absolutely could have bit them in the butt. That that decision to call. So we don't think that it's, you know, we don't think that it's a huge deal in the context of of the win itself, but in the context of the alternate possibility, which very well could present itself down the road this season. This is something you want to troubleshoot early if you're a head coach. And I really think that um, the interesting part of analytics is like, okay, well, we won. So it was, therefore, it was the right decision is the incorrect logic. You can make the right decision and, or excuse me, you can make the wrong decision and have a favorable outcome. It doesn't make the decision correct. But it, what it does, though, is it does sort of reconfirm certain biases about making that decision in the first place. So as long as Sean McVay sits there and 
reverse engineers this entire process, <laughs> which he said he was going to do. I asked him straight up about it, and he was like, yeah, I'm going to go back and look at that one. Um, right. And he did say today, like, I really appreciated the line he walked today because he can't say, oh, I made the wrong call because they right. won the game, right? What I really right. liked that he did today was he was like, you know, um, you know, the, the call, you know, I, I kind of doubled down on my decision that I made that call. In the future, though, <laughs> if, that, if that pops right. up, I may not make that same call. So I, I appreciated that. I think this is a storyline to definitely follow all season long because as we saw last year with them, at times it can just be inches and, you know, less than five point differential. Yeah, no no question. And I think Sean has a good sense of, of that, um, you know, why he made that specific decision. Uh, I'm not sure. Um, but, uh, you know, how about McCarthy? You know, I mean, Mike, Mike McCarthy has a fourth and three, uh, <laughs> at the, at the Rams 11 and you can tie the game with a field goal. I mean, you're losing that game. Uh, I did not like that decision, not, not to deflect from, from Sean McVay, but I, I think I liked that decision even less than I liked, uh, uh, Sean's. I don't, I don't think that came up on the, on the, on the list here, but I, I thought that was a terrible decision. Do you know why it didn't come up on the list? Why? Because he actually made the correct decision. Is that right? Doesn't that kill you? Like, that just kills me. This is the thing. This is why, Mm. this is honestly the thing here. Because again, you could make the right decision and have an unfavorable outcome. And then you will just get crapped on because of your, Mm. because of the decision. It was, but you, but what you, people fail to account for is like, you have to make the right decision, which going for it on fourth and three in that situation is the right decision in terms of increasing win probability. That is the right, right decision. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, man, I literally just crept all over Mike McCarthy all week last week because he sat in his little fake analytics cave and was like, I understand this. And turns yeah. out he makes the right decision. He calls yeah. the wrong play, right? He calls a terrible play. It fails. Um, Jordan Fuller makes a fantastic play on the other side, which clearly they did not account for him being in that space. But Jordan Fuller was all over that play and the play fails. And Mike McCarthy is like, just crapped on. Right. But it was the right. That's the thing. That's why by me. Yeah. Well, and, and you know what? And you just like, oh no, you just think you just (laughs) like, Rich. I seriously, (laughs) I, I seriously thought in my mind, I was like, Oh no, Mike. Like he just yeah. because he really for, you know, he can't win for losing, honestly. Like it really it, that analytically is the correct decision to make. You also have to match that with the correct play call. Um right. so, you know, but but that's that's the really interesting thing. So I'm mad at the play call there. Well, if I were the Cowboys, I'd be mad at the play call there. Um Right. But how about Jordan Fuller? Wow. I know. Good for him. Absolutely. I mean, I was just telling somebody today to to even to be a sixth round. Think about this. To be a sixth round rookie and to have no offseason. He got nothing. No mini camp. No OTAs. To be not only to be on the field for your week one game, not only to be in a big role, but to make a game changing, maybe even a game defining play like that. I'm I'm stunned and just full marks to, to Jordan Fuller for for 
a great game and, and even getting himself into that position. I mean, it just was fantastic. It really was such a smart play. So we, you know, they didn't make Jordan available post game, which is why you guys don't see quotes from him in my column, the pile, which is up on the I did share some quotes from him and some analysis um, in our new app feature where we're doing a bunch of briefs, which is like added analysis and context that doesn't necessarily flesh out into a full story. And Jordan was so great today talking about, you know, he can't give away um, too much about the play, but basically not only did he know C.D. Lamb was his guy on that play, and in a lot of situations he was responsible for C.D. Lamb in a lot of ways, right? And then not only that, but he also understood based on some of the things that happened before the snap that there was going to be a ton of traffic moving across the middle of the play, to try to slow him up, right? So he, what he does is he sort of circumvents it and makes a really smart, fast, physical play and, um, you know, takes down C.D. Lamb behind the conversion marker. And um, it just was, it was fantastic. I mean, and Sean McVay called it just the, I mean, he, he really did say, he's like, that was the play of the game. It just was. I mean, yeah. it it absolutely made a huge difference. Jordan Fuller had already somewhat sealed his, you know, substantial role within this defense moving forward, even as a rookie, when he was told a week ago that he was going to start over Taylor Rapp. Um, and now I think even further cemented sort of um, that that large role that he's going to be playing. Yeah, leads the team with eight tackles. It wasn't just that one play. I mean, obviously, that's a, that's a huge play, but uh, he was a factor um, uh, throughout the game. So, you know, Jordan, I know a lot of Rams fans have, have already asked you on, on social media and comments, but <laughs> you know, what do you, what do you think this means? I mean, uh, we, I think we, we all, um, kind of went into the season expecting, oh, it's going to be John Johnson and Taylor Rapp. And, and of course, I think people thought Jordan Fuller and, and others would kind of rotate in and, and that sort of thing. But, uh, how, you know, how should we read this? I mean, is that uh, just a, tremendous uh vote of confidence in in Jordan Fuller uh and wh- what do you think it means for for Taylor Rapp I think I think a couple of things one I think yes he played his butt off and he played his way into a um substantial role I do think that naturally it would take Taylor Rapp being out you know through most of the time that they're completely installing this new defense Um, you know, I would think that it would take him a little bit longer than just a week to get into a rhythm there. However, Jordan Fuller seems to kind of fit the mold of the types of safeties like a Vic Fangio, um, things that Brandon Staley pulls from for his scheme. Um, and the other thing is, is I'm not actually convinced they showed us nearly everything that they're going to do with that defensive backfield. Yeah. Because near the end of the game, I saw what at first looked like a nickel, but might have even been a dime. And game passes and up those jerks. So I can't go back and watch <laughs> it right now. Um, but it, it, it really all three of those guys were on the field. That's super important, because if you can play those three guys in sort of a subverted nickel or dime, that's super, super important. You can pretty much cover everybody in that regard because you already have Troy Hill, who's doing really well playing as the featured and starting nickel um, right now on this team. And then if you need to switch into kind of some bigger bodies that are not Jalen Ramsey in the middle, um, if you can have those three defensive backs on the field, that's really important. And I saw flashes of it at the very, very end of the game, like right at the end when people are no longer watching the tape. Like, you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) I feel like that was so I I really, for one, I do think we're going to see a lot of Jordan Fuller, but I don't think that necessarily means we're not going to see Taylor Rapp 
And I, I just think that's exciting for them. I mean, they've got so many guys that can move around back there. And I think they're Aaron Donald kind of hinted at this too. Aaron Donald was like, you guys haven't even seen close to all of it in terms of the defense. And I was like, Oh, that's exciting. So I, I think there's more, I think there's more here than what we're, than what we're actually hearing. And, um, you know, I think that it's going to get interesting with what they do in that secondary, which um, I've been writing about over at theathletic.com for weeks. Absolutely. You, you've been all <laughs> over it. And uh, yeah, you mentioned uh, the, the really the way to watch that stuff is to watch that all 22 film. And it's it's just so fascinating to to watch that stuff. And uh, yeah, it's, it's not it's not up yet, unfortunately. But uh, I, I agree. I, I think that's somewhat expected. You know, game one, uh, they really haven't. It was their first live action really on the field together. So you probably wouldn't expect uh, to see everything. But wow, when, you know, to, to think, and look, it's one game. I don't want to get too out of control with, with Jordan Fuller. You know, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be some ups and downs naturally mm-hmm. when you're a rookie. But uh, to, to think that there's the potential there, uh, that, that he really is a guy that they can use and, and use in that rotation, like you're saying, and just create more more options. I mean, what <laughs> what a relief that must be for Brandon Staley and, and for that whole defense to know uh, that he does indeed have somebody who can who can be such a, a valuable, versatile piece like that. I know, and I think overall, too, um, one of the big things here that it, it seems obvious, but I think we need to talk about like how important it actually is So really, you don't know anything about this team from the first game of the season, especially when they haven't had an offseason, a full offseason together. I will say this. I thought that there was an efficient manner about this defense under Brandon Staley. I thought there was a, a very efficient way about them. And so... I think that's interesting because this mm-hmm. this Cowboys offense was supposed to come out of the gate swinging and fired up and like be the most dynamic and yeah they got a, they had a lot of injuries they had I think it was their right tackle was out they had a reserve guy who went out um you know they had some issues in that regard and then obviously if you're like fending off Aaron Donald you're going to have a bad time <laughs> so um but at the same time 17 points against this against you know holding this offense to 17 points that was supposed to come out and be like you know the second coming i think right. that's i think that's i think that's something that we should definitely mention because that that does matter even if this rams team is not 5 games from now the one that they looked like you know on sunday it still, I think, does matter, and it is notable that that was the the opener that they had. Oh, I agree. You, you talk about a week one, you know, and the kind of the lack of continuity and lack of off season. I mean, that that Dallas offense, that those pieces have been together for a while. I mean, you talk about you know Dak and, and Zeke and Mari Cooper. I mean, I know, I know they have a new coaching staff and all of that, but these, these are guys who have that continuity. They're familiar with each other. It's not like there's a big uh, you know, adjustment period. So that, that could have been a real tough matchup uh, for, for, for first week for, for an entirely new defense, new scheme, uh, and everything like that. So, so to hold that group to, to 17 points, I, I, I thought that was a very good effort. It's not perfect. I mean, I know there's issues with tackling and, and things like that, but there, there, was nothing, there was nothing like fundamental that, that made me look at it and go, ooh, that's, that could be a problem. I, I know maybe, uh, maybe look at the linebackers a little bit, but uh, there, there wasn't really anything that, that made me think like, oh, my goodness, you know, they, they just totally whiffed on this <laughs> during the offseason. I mean, it was a good offense. It's a good team in general. And, uh, you know, I think if you would have said going in, the Rams are going to hold them to 17 points. 
I think most Rams fans would have taken that. Yeah, I was, I was, I think pleasantly surprised, especially that second half, the way they came out and adjusted. Um, speaking of pleasant surprises, do you know where I'm going with this? Um, wow, it could be any number of ways. How about the offensive line? Oh my gosh, you nailed it. Oh, so that was a okay. lot. Of, that was a lot of pressure. I know. Yeah. Well. <laughs> That's an offensive line joke. Um, so, <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> um, okay, so I'm going to read some numbers from Pro Football Focus, which okay. uh, team to team, the, the interesting thing is team to team, um, they have kind of mixed views on that on grades and things like that. Like the team I was previously with, they just had like some beef against these grades or whatever, but like this mm-hmm. team uses them and it takes great value from them. And I find them personally very helpful. So I'm going to read some grades for you from pro football focus. Andrew Whitworth, 95.2. That is an A, like a solid A. And if you have a nice teacher, she will round up to an A plus. Like that is great. That's very good. Yeah. Um, Austin Blythe, 81.9. Okay. Okay. I I mean, That was pretty much my grade point average in college. Yeah, so. no, I would have taken that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll take that any yeah. day. Um, and Austin Corbett, eighty point three. So that's you know you've got a substantial portion of your line. I did see Andrew Whitworth was just straight up moving bodies, which was great to yeah. see. Yeah. Um, at his age in this economy, you know, just yeah. like completely, <laughs> completely moving bodies down there. I thought that was fantastic. So I thought that was notable. I thought those things were notable. There were some, there were some off times. Um, I would say the right side of the offensive line concerns me, uh, in terms of, uh, the edge of the right side. Right? Yeah. How can I put this politely? Yeah, you know, I, I I saw some more inconsistency there than I think I would have liked to, but overall, and then in terms of kind of grading the road, because because Malcolm Brown, he's he's a as Thomas Brown said, one cut downhill, right? And they did use him in the passing game, which was really good for me to see personally because I love when there are layups available to a quarterback. But yeah. You know, in terms of the running itself, it's he's like a one cut downhill guy and there was a lot of power running and a lot of short yardage and they really did a nice job for him. And I think they did a solid job, um, you know, when they were in pass protection as well. Some inconsistencies, but I think overall right. pretty solid. Yeah, they got, it got a little wobbly there in the, in the second half a little bit. But uh, I, I think if you're going to be encouraged, I mean, Whitworth is Whitworth. I mean, he'll, he'll be doing that probably 10 years from now. Uh, you know, so he'll, he'll still be there somehow. Uh, but Austin Blythe, I think, if you're, if you're looking for one to be very encouraged about. And, and that doesn't surprise me. I mean, he played very good center in the second half of last year. People got really down on him because... You know, he struggled a little bit at guard before he made the mm-hmm. move, but he was a very good center in, in the second half, and they feel really good about Austin Blythe. He's a very good communicator uh, on the field. He's very smart, and uh, he, has, he has everything you need uh, to be a good center. To, so to see him put that together in the, in the first week, I thought was, was very good for Austin and, and good for that line. And yeah, the right side, I mean, I'll still... Uh, you know, uh, uh, Rob Havenstein, you, you still kind of give him, a, you know, a, a passing grade, I guess. I mean, it's been a long time since he'd been on the field. 
that that is a pretty good you know Dallas pass rush, but um, you're going to want to see more there. And I'm not trying to I'm not trying to get into hot take territory, but I mean it's I I think it's fair to say that you know there is a guy Bobby Evans who who played well, uh, it kind of exceeded expectations as as a rookie last year. So by no means am I saying like oh it's time to make a change or anything, but. Uh, it, you know, it's not a situation where they, they don't have somebody else, at least somebody who could compete or, or get a look. So it's just something to keep an eye on, um, you know, next week and, and see how that develops. But all in all, Jordan, you know, good, good effort by by that offensive line. Certainly uh, a lot better than, than what you saw at the start of last season. So uh, I, I think everybody has to be encouraged by that. Yeah, I thought they were fine. I mean, it... it obviously they had some great moments and mostly those came from the guys that we mentioned, um, who graded out strongly. Um, there was some, there were some struggles. I think you want to see a little bit more consistency, like, like we mentioned out of Rob Havenstein, but the, the important thing to note is like, again, himself and Joe Noteboom coming back from season ending injuries, um, had the entire off season where they were basically coming from their couches into active football again. And so it just is going right. to take some time to really see what you have. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see these guys all line up together again next week. Right. Um, so, I, you know, I really would not be surprised to see that. And then after that, you can kind of reevaluate because at that point you've gotten, a, you know, a pretty decent, you probably gotten like about 140, 150 snaps together at that point. So you can kind of see where people are trending and and if guys are kind of getting into that shape and getting into that rhythm. So I would say at least this next week, you'd see the same, you'd see the same line. Um, And when Jared Goff was, um, as we like to say on this podcast off schedule, I didn't think he was that bad. I I actually thought he played really, really well last night, or excuse me, it's Monday when we're recording this. I just right. gave the game away, but on Sunday night, we, <laughs> <laughs> I thought he played. I thought he played really well. I did too. I, I really did. And you know, he gets dinged for the interception, but again, you know, you get you got smacked in the face. So what are you what are you going to do there? But uh, it, it's just a lot of it was kind of the eye test for me, and he just he looked a lot more comfortable. And and again, the line did a good job. He didn't get a lot of pressure, especially in in the first half, but. But when he did, he was still. It didn't. It didn't look rushed. It didn't look like he was. You know, it looked like he was keeping his eyes in the right place. His feet were good, and and those are the kind of things you want to see because those are the things that kind of slipped for him uh, last year and, and kind of led to some of those those bad decisions and, and bad throws. So uh, some very good moments. I, the game plan. I, I saw some of the next gen. Uh, stuff on, on NFL.com. I mean, they kept it very short. I don't know how many how many shots they took down the field. You know, more than uh, I, I, I remember the two to Van Jefferson, one of which was a, a brilliant throw and a catch, um, and the other one did carbon copy, of carbon that copy scrimmage. of the one in the scrimmage. Yeah. By the way, yeah, absolutely. And the, and then the other one didn't connect. I don't know whether they really took any big shots uh, uh, beyond that, but uh, you know, played to Jared's strengths. He he executed very well. Um, and, and did what he needed to do. So I, I think it was a good first step. And, um, you know, again, one bad throw, but you, you can't really you can't really put that on him. No, I don't count that throw because, again, like if I have um, half of someone's forearm, you know, in right. my in my face and then my neck is twisted back, like I'm going to throw a wobbler. I think that's yeah, probably, fair. Probably. Yeah, prob- yeah, probably so. The one he did want back was when he 
had the keeper. He had Cooper Cup open downfield. Right. And he he ripped off kind of this keeper instead. Um, I like to think he did that just to show us that he's running faster. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, but, like a gazelle, really. Is like a, a yeah, like a gazelle. Yeah. Yes. yeah. That's that that's that foot speed that we're seeing. Um, yeah. No, but he he admitted after the game that he wanted that specific one back because he he saw sort of after the fact that he had Cooper Cup as they were kind of down there dissecting this on their tablets and all of that. So, but other than that, I mean, I really thought he played well. I don't blame him for that interception. I know that the stats are going to make it look bad or worse than it is, but I really don't blame him for that interception. Um, I think Rams fans can Rams fans. Oh my goodness. Can really um, hang their hat on what Jared Goff was able to do. I think if you, if you can sustain that level of play minus the ball security, I think you can really, um, I think you can be okay with that throughout the season. Yeah, I, it was it was a good game plan too. You know, I mean, a lot of it is what what Sean McVay and the staff gives you to work with, and right. uh, I, I thought I thought they did a very good job for Jared. Um, you know, putting him in in positions to succeed. I, I liked what I saw there, and and again, he just looked good. I, it's hard to describe, but. You know, to watch those games last year, he just did not look comfortable a lot yeah. of times in, in the pocket, and and he looked he looked more comfortable. And that's not all about the offensive line. He, um, I, I think he I think he did well there. The, the, it's going to get tougher. There's no question about it. But, uh, but but I think he saw some positives there. Yeah, and you know, when we talk about Sean McVay and Kevin O'Connell and staff game planning for these guys, they did keep a lot of things short. They also. Oh, and I can't believe I get to say this. They gave Jared Goff layup options using running backs <laughs> in the passing game, which they did less than any other team in the National Football League last year. Yeah. Aaron Schatz of Football Outsiders informed us. So I am so thrilled to be able to see that there are very short-range uh, layups for him to be had, especially when you have a bunch of guys on your team who can make so much happen after contact and after the catch, um, you know, and then also setting up all of those crossers that work so well for them. Um, I know, Rich, we talk about this all the time because, um, as you've discovered about me, I really nerd out over crossers. And I think <laughs> I think that the Rams just do them so well and they just sort of knock defenders off their spots and off their patterns um, so, so well. And so giving him those options from the layups to Robert Woods doing Robert Woods things is just phenomenal. They're, they got look. It's one game. I think we, you know, we 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 only can evaluate what we have in front of us. But uh, so much of of what they did was what made it work in 2017 and 2018. And and having Todd Gurley uh, as that kind of you know safety valve, uh, they were so effective with that. And uh, you know, it's it's not that they were all touchdowns or anything else, but just changes the way that that teams have to defend you. And they, they got away from that last year. And, and I don't know why exactly some of it could be tied to Todd's health or, or just the things that he was maybe able to do on the field. But 
they certainly got away from that, like like Aaron was talking about and, and like a lot of us saw. And, uh, boy, if they can bring some of that back. And, and then, like you said, just the, you know, those crossing routes, those guys are so good at that stuff. I, I know, you know, Robert Woods, you, you've already been digging into this uh, even even before the game, but, but just the, the things that he can do out there. Um, it was it was a well designed offense. Now Sean had what uh, you know basically eight months to, to, to do it. So uh, you, you give Sean McVay eight months, he'll come up with a with a, an unbeatable plan. But uh, but I was encouraged to to see them. I think really accentuate uh, some of the strengths of that offense. You are listening to the Eleven Personnel Podcast, your favorite Rams podcast. I'm Jordan Rodriguez. With me is Rich Hammond, and we'll catch you after the break for some talk about Robert Woods. This is the Athletic Shield Kapadia here to tell you about liquid IV. Nobody likes to feel dehydrated. Maybe you get a little bit of a headache, dry mouth. You just don't feel like yourself, but believe it or not, dehydration still occurs daily in three out of four people. With liquid IV, you have the fastest, most efficient way to stay hydrated. Each serving helps you get as much hydration as two to three bottles of water. Maybe you use it after a really intense workout. Maybe you went out socially distanced with friends and had a couple extra beers the night before. That's where liquid IV comes in. It is healthier than those sugary sports drinks, no artificial flavors or preservatives, and less sugar than an apple. Plus, it contains five essential vitamins, more vitamin C than an orange, and as much potassium as a banana. And Liquid IV is on a mission to change the world. Liquid IV is donating 3.7 million servings in response to COVID-19. Products are being donated to hospitals, first responders, food banks, veterans, and active military. Liquid IV is available nationwide at Costco and Target, or you can get 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code ATHLETIC at checkout. That's 25% off anything you order when you use promo code ATHLETIC at liquidiv.com. Get better hydration today at liquidiv.com, promo code ATHLETIC. What a great weekend it was for sports, not only the NFL, but so much going on, so many playoff games so much great action, and there's no better way to get it than with Fubo TV. And we have a great offer for you: fifteen percent off the first month. Great deal for the whole family. Three people can watch at once on the family plan. Standard base plan includes the ability to watch on two screens at once, so you don't even have to be bothered by the people in your home. Thirty hours of DVR in case you're out doing something and want to record that game. Not just sports, but local broadcasts, too. And a great deal, of course. If you're looking to save money, and we all are these days, it's a lot cheaper to buy Fubo. $50 more affordable than those local cable providers, and you get NBC Sports. Of course, the NFL season is here, and Fubo.tv will not disappoint. Stay updated on your favorite teams, as well as that local broadcast news. So go to FuboTV.com athletic today and get 15% off your first month. You won't regret it. That's FuboTV.com slash athletic. Start your first month today. All right, Rich. I think we need to devote a fair portion of this podcast to a one Mr. Bobby Trees, Robert Woods. Yeah, it's that's, that's the full Robert Woods experience right there. I mean, just a guy. Boy, I remember when they signed him. And uh, people kind of went, well, you know, why? You know, <laughs> like what? What does this guy bring? Because you, you know, you looked at it then, and and the, there's no, there's no one thing that makes you go like, wow, who really that makes him really pop? Um, but you just, the more you look at him, 
the more you appreciate it. And I, I'm sure it's just got to be a quarterback's dream, uh, got to be a coach's dream. And and Jordan, I, I know how you know you've you've been looking into it already. But the number of things that he can do for that team, uh, it, it's really hard to put a value on it. Yeah, you definitely saw all of it yesterday. Yeah. Um, you know, you saw it in sort of even stuff he was doing away from target, like when he wasn't the target, he wasn't getting the ball. Some of the blocking Cooper cup told us today that those two have sort of a contest um, because Sean McVay does use his receivers to help block a lot. So Cooper cup was talking about how he and Robert Woods have this contest to see how many possible pancakes they can get throughout the course (laughs) of the season, which I just love because it's receivers doing that. I mean, I just love that. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you really saw that full, you know, when I watched Robert Woods in camp and I know everybody has this sort of feeling when they watch him play football, you just think, why don't more people talk about this guy? Right. And then it's like, well, of course we all talk about him until we're blue in the face, but why on a national level, why don't more people talk about this guy? And it baffles me. It completely stuns me. This guy, Robert Woods, I think is one of the most, if not the most underrated receivers in the NFL and someone who just makes everything happen for you and helps make your offense run efficiently, effectively, make it makes it click. One of the things that I saw yesterday that made me believe maybe they don't feel like they have to take as many deep shots downfield is because... Robert Woods was averaging 15 yards after the catch. Yeah. That is insane. Yeah. He had six catches for 105 yards, 17 and a half yards per catch. And according to NFL's next gen stats, 90 of those yards came after the catch. That is insane. Yeah. That is completely insane. Yeah. That's, that's getting back to, to what made that offense so successful and yeah you just hit him and and you know give him some space and and he knows what to do and uh yeah it's just it doesn't jump off the screen you know because he's not the fastest guy he's not the flashiest guy uh you know he's not the he's not gonna be a guy who makes a circus catch over over a cornerback's head or anything like that so you know you're, you're not likely to see him on you know pop on the on the highlights or anything like that but it's just the more you watch it and the more you study all those little things that you that you talked about it you know even running the you know the the ghost motions there on the, on the pre-snaps and you know taking the handoff on those jet sweeps so good at at turning the corner and, and things like that so you know it, it's funny jordan you talk about you know, obviously they just re-signed Cooper Cup and you know they've made some big investments but gosh then you watch a game like like this one and you go how can they afford to not re-sign Robert Woods and it just it, it gave me a headache then thinking about like oh man how can you how can you even think about letting this guy go but yet how can you re-sign him given everything else that's going on so uh, uh, I, I'm sure it's a good problem for Robert and, and a good problem for his agent. Yeah, you know, my understanding of the situation is that the Rams had previously informed Robert Woods that once they got the definitive numbers of what the Cooper Cup contract year over year would be, which they did this this past weekend, they were working on on Cooper Cup's contract for a while and then talks kind of, you know, got a little slower as Jalen Ramsey was happening. And then they picked up really quickly and things moved very, very quickly to get things done before the season opener. So Cooper Cup now has definitive numbers locked in. So my understanding is now they're going to start poking around 
on Robert Woods' possible extension and seeing what they can do for him. What I think you can do, and this is just me, you can actually make this work for you as a team because you want to bring back a guy like Robert Woods who already showed that if he stays healthy, he is in it to just, you know, I don't even have a good analogy. He's going to play very well this year. Right, <laughs> you know? right, right. He He's coming off of back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons. He is currently structured through 2021, obviously would like to be a Los Angeles Ram for the rest of his career, and there is actually a way where the Rams could give him uh, a plausible extension to where they are also freeing up more space in 2021 because his cap hit is $10 million at that point. Right. So you can free up so much extra money if you restructure what would have been that money in 2021. If you get an extension done before that cap, before that cap starts to come into effect next spring, if you get it done before then, you can really restructure all of it to where you aren't paying that money um, on the front end. You're giving him cash up front, which you saw them do with the Jalen Ramsey contract. They probably did the same thing with the Cooper Cup contract as well. Right. And you're giving them you know, that extra liquid cash so that you can now work a roster around these core players if you need to and have extra space and sign your draft picks and all the fun things that you need to do. So... I think this is really exciting. It went from there is not a feasible possibility that if you keep Cooper Cup, you can also keep Robert Woods. It went from that to being, okay, but what if we what if we restructure some things and we really, you know, what if we really could make this happen? There's a very feasible way that the Rams could could have an offense that features Robert Woods and Cooper Cup through, you know, 2023 which would give Robert Woods a very healthy extra couple of years on that contract, which he would be, what, 32, right? Am I right on that? 32 when in 20 – I mean, I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but – At the um, end of uh, – yeah. In 2023. Right, yeah. He, yeah, he's, he's going to turn 29 after after this season. So Yeah, uh, yeah. So, so that would be great. I mean, that's fantastic, right? I think that's a great length of time – at that point, you're you're a member of the core, and um, you don't actually have to pay Van Jefferson <laughs> until around then. Right. So it it really might line up to where you can have your cake and eat it too, and still have money to sign your draft picks and not go to the poorhouse. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. it actually might it might work, and I'm saying like, oh my gosh, this might work. Yeah, it, it might. I mean, I think it's it's predicated on on a couple other things that that maybe have to work out. I mean, I don't know what the the left tackle answer ends up being in the long term. You probably have to hit that one without without spending a, a ton of money. But you know, the th- a couple things about Robert that that I think also play into it is he's obviously a Southern California kid through and through. Went to high school in, in Gardena. Uh, went to USC. Uh, obviously, he got he got drafted in Buffalo, so he couldn't he couldn't choose that one. But then you know came back to LA as as soon as he could. Um, so I'm not saying he give the Rams any huge discount or anything like that, but I, I think he's probably at the stage of his career and his life where, uh, you know, all things being equal or maybe even slightly less than equal, um, he, he's probably inclined to, to stay here. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so that's certainly a benefit. And the other thing I, I think is, I think his skills are going to hold up. You know, you, you talk about, you may, maybe you get a little nervous about a receiver on the other side of 30. Uh, he, he's played a lot of games. 
but but I, I, I don't know. I, I do, do, do you see what I'm saying here? I, I think that yeah. the stuff that he does, it's not like you're going to have to worry. I don't think about a big drop off um, in the, in the next couple of years. I, I think he's he's somebody who could still hold a lot of value uh, a, a, a few years from now. Yeah, there are there are certain receivers around the league, and coaches will love to talk about these guys like behind closed doors. There are certain receivers around the league who play in a way that protects their own body. Like they create extra space for themselves around their own physical perimeter so that they can better protect their body. He knows how to run with the football, for example, after the catch. He knows how to absorb contact. He knows how to take care of himself in a way that's sort of extending his career for the positive. There are just certain guys that know how to do that and that it's just a a very, very strong gift that they have. And Robert Woods is one of those players. It's just that durability and someone who you can just count on for for anything, really. Um, I think that that's I think that that's super important. And that's something that definitely helps his case. I, I agree with what you said about maybe him wanting to stay in Los Angeles. You know, there's a possibility because of his numbers that he could want to test the market and try to, you know, get some some more substantial financial stability. But really, in in just hearing what he had said to, to us through the summer and through, you know, the, the sort of quote unquote preseason period, he wants to stay in Los Angeles. So at that point, you might be able to work some things to where um, you can give him a longer amount of time specifically in L.A., but maybe not the crazy top dollar that his statistics would otherwise probably demand. Yeah, I, I think it's it's a good fit there. Yeah, and it's, you know, who knows what's going on in, in, in Robert's head. I mean, he's he's at that age where, yeah, this is probably, he's probably got one more good contract in him in, ter- in terms of dollar value. So, you know, is, do, do, you, do you want to at least, you know, sniff around and see what maybe is out there, or uh, you know, what what are your priorities? And uh, only only a player can can really answer that. And uh, but but I do think you know, based on the things that he said, uh, I think he's comfortable here. Not only you know here in the city, but but in that organization, I, I think his his skills are utilized. Uh, certainly by Sean McVay in, in a way that brings uh, brings a lot out of him. So I, I, I don't think, uh, assuming the numbers can work, uh, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. And uh, I, I've really come around on that. I don't, I don't think I would have said that a couple months ago, uh, just based on the, on the climate. But, uh, but, but I, think, uh, I think it could actually happen. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't have said that. But once I saw, <laughs> yeah. once I saw that they structured Jalen Ramsey's contract in a way that was more backloaded, but he took an initial sort of a hit in the initial base salary right? Um, in order to free up, a, you know, almost $8 million uh, for the current year, which then in turn helped get Cooper Cup signed. And then we still don't have the full sheet for Cooper Cup. So right. we don't know what his base would be. We know that they have a little bit of wiggle room right now, just in case of an emergency. But, but again, like as long as you figure out a way to work in, Robert Woods before 2021, you can really, really do some interesting things with that contract. And I wouldn't have said that, I don't think, um, without seeing how they had structured that Jalen Ramsey deal. I think that was really, really telling of sort of a model that we can look toward um, for for future contracts that they might want to do. And this is a poor transition, Rich, but I I do want to talk about Malcolm Brown for a minute because um, you you know you want to talk about guys who are just so dependable. Malcolm Brown, the things that he does behind the scenes finally paid off for him 
in a big way, becoming the first player to score a touchdown in SoFi Stadium. Um, just a really special moment for a genuinely wonderful person. Yeah, you, you've got to feel good about that. I mean, Malcolm Brown has, has been around for you know for so long. I mean, he's talking about a guy who was an undrafted free agent uh, five years ago, you know, 2015, and and to stick around uh, as long as he has, uh, you know, just never never a complaint at all. I mean, just a, just a really good team player. You know, was was there for the rise and the fall of Todd Gurley, and and still was never considered a, a top option. And then uh, you just never know when your opportunity is going to come. And just a very reliable back. Um, you know, probably never is going to be your most dynamic uh, running back, but just so smart and, and very efficient with, with what he does. So thought that was fitting, you know, not to get too sappy about it or anything like that. But oh, I mean, get sappy. Yeah, get you know sappy. how sentimental I can be. But uh, just, you know, for, for a guy, uh, he's one of the guys who made the trip for, from St. Louis. There's, there's not that many left on the team. And uh, for, for him to have kind of completed that journey uh, into SoFi Stadium and, and to score the first touchdown and, and to be able to enjoy a big role in, in that first game. I mean, that, that's got to be special and uh, a really good guy for, for that to happen to. Yeah, really well said, Rich. I think it's so symbolic in so many different reasons, not the least of which you just mentioned about coming from um, St. Louis and then being the first touchdown in, in their brand new stadium, the place where so many people I ran into, you know, on that game day were like, it feels like we finally have a place that's ours. It feels like we have somewhere that we can say is is our home. Right. And And then, you know, that symbolism. And then also the fact that, you know, you have Sean McVay as the head coach who just is probably going to be there um, for years and years if everything keeps going as planned. And you just have this mentality of we, not me, that he sort of preaches and has on signage everywhere and, on, and all of that. And Malcolm Brown, I, it, you know, it's really hard to think of somebody who embodies that more than Malcolm Brown in terms of he has never been the guy. He's never been the superstar. He's always been somebody who played a role, who filled the responsibilities. And even when it it seemed like when Todd Gurley left, okay, now we might, I might have a chance to be the quote unquote feature back. Right. And then they draft Cam Akers and everybody's so excited about Cam Akers, which I think is great because Cam Akers is awesome. But right. Malcolm Brown, then seeing that again, might might have felt like, when, you know, when is my star going to be in the sky kind of a thing? Yeah. And then for him to be able to have this moment, he he will, you know, let's face it, he's not going to be a superstar running back, but he is so important. He took charge of mentoring these two young guys up, even though he didn't have to. I mean, you hear these horror stories across the league of some of these veteran players sure. and how they act toward rookies. And instead, Malcolm Brown just like kind of took them in and made them a little family. And for him to get this opportunity and then to finally be able to sit, you know, with us post game and then really soak it in and really feel like I am the guy right now and I'm a part of history no matter what happens from here. I think that was I just think that was so important. Yeah, and the Rams, I think, know it. I mean, this is a guy who, you know, Detroit signed uh, Malcolm Brown to an offer sheet a year ago, 2019. And, um, you know, the Rams matched it. It's like $3, $3 million, I think. And and to do that, it's kind of like, wow, you're matching an offer sheet for your, for your backup running back, you know. But that tells you something, you know. I think it tells you the, the value that the – they knew he had, even if it wasn't uh, from a highly productive uh, standpoint, 
uh, on the field. But such a great point, Jordan, because especially those running backs, you know how competitive they are about getting their touches and, you know, everything else. And, and this is a guy who just has never been about that. And, um, you know, nice to see uh, somebody like that get rewarded. And hey, let's not ignore either. I mean, the, the the practical benefit that that brings now. I mean, the if, if he can continue to do that, just not putting that pressure on Cam Akers now, if, if they really do have some a reliable veteran like that, uh, then then you can you can bring the rookie along a little bit more slowly, maybe, and and still have a good combination there. So thought that worked out well, and uh, certainly a you know what a night for for Malcolm Brown. And they're going to need all of the camaraderie and discipline and bonding they can get because they are about to have back to back road games Oof. in a pandemic. Uh, they're sort of in the works right now of formulating how they'll create these little miniature ecosystems in the team plane, um, in the buses, to the hotel, on the road, then in the hotel, then on the way to the new stadium, uh, where they then have to enter someone else's ecosystem for the first time. And it's going to be interesting. And so what Sean McVay told uh, reporters this week is that they are traveling day before. That's brutal. Twice. Yes. And that's that's the thing. I mean, people, I, I think we probably covered this before maybe, but you know, the, the way the schedule shapes up with, with Philadelphia and then Buffalo, that's basically something the Rams, uh, I don't know that they request it specifically, although they might have, but it's certainly something that they encourage because they wanted to be able to stay over. You have those two road East Coast road games. Hey, let's put them back to back and let's just get them taken care of. And then, of course, all of this stuff happened. So, Jordan, that, that's going to be tough. And those are two t- 10 a.m. starts on, on the West Coast. Um, so I, I understand, I certainly understand the, the decision that they're making, but wow, those, those are now two much tougher games than, than they were when the schedule got released. And the Rams practice late, like they're a late yeah. afternoon practice team. I mean, yeah, a lot of guys are in the building early, but you, you don't get your body really moving until later in the day. So to me, as someone who very recently was adjusting my internal clock from right. east to west coast and back, that was t- that's tough. The idea, though, of going day before, not just because you know, it's not just because they want to spend as less time as possible or as little time as possible in that opposing hotel, just because you can't tell a guy to just sit in a hotel room on the road. No. Um, you can't go when you can't go outside, you're not allowed to go anywhere. Like you just can't do that. Um, so that was one part of the reason. But another thing is there's, I think there's something to be said and I'm no scientist, but I think there's something to be said for if you just get in and out really quickly, your body just doesn't know how to react to it. Just doesn't like, <laughs> it just yeah. like I notice that sometimes on some of these really long road trips, um, that, that we take over the course of this job is like, sometimes your body is so shocked by the fact that you're in a different place that it just really doesn't react. And a lot of things that they do. And, and you saw this and we all saw this when teams go to London is they'll have them, they'll have like their sleep schedules on the plane mapped out. They'll yeah. have them in like compression leggings and all of these different things on the plane and and all of that so i think that's that's going to be the time zone thing that's brutal to me but i think it might it might be okay um but it is still brutal but i think it might be okay but then the 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 covid stuff obviously is a huge concern here so they're trying to minimize as much risk as possible and obviously they've got philadelphia coming up on sunday and then the buffalo bills aka 
my former team that went north. (laughs) (laughs) Because of how many Carolina Panthers players and staff they now currently have. That's right. The, the, the uh, alumni club, I I guess you could say, but uh, yeah, two, two more games, Jordan, that, uh, you know, people ask me about the the Dallas game, and it's it's again two more games where you go. Those these are the kind of games that are going to determine what kind of season you have. Because what did we just see this past weekend? How about those Arizona Cardinals, right? Uh, you know, I mean they they're not going to be anything to mess around with this year. So when you start staring down six games against the uh, the Seattle Seahawks and the Cardinals and the 49ers, Oh boy, that's going to be tough sledding. And and when you get games like this, and I'm not diminishing, uh, you know, Philadelphia or Buffalo, but uh, you, you don't want to put yourself in an early season hole. So these are the I think these are the kind of games that uh, really maybe make the difference between you know ten wins in the playoffs or eight wins, and and maybe you need a little help to get in the playoffs. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh- you know, we spent so much time wondering, will football happen this year? And then it happened. And now we're like, oh, my God, they have a whole season to account for <laughs> at, this, <laughs> right. at this point. So things are going to start getting interesting. Rich and I will be holding you guys' hands every step of the way to talk about this, not only at TheAthletic.com, but at the 11 Personnel Podcast, which you should subscribe to on iTunes and leave us a very nice rating. If you listen through The Athletic app, you can find all of our podcasts and all of our work there, including our new um, briefs feature, which is really, really fun. It allows me to really interact with you guys in real time and share extra insights and um, just extra levels of analysis. And you can also subscribe to The Athletic through the 11 Personnel Podcast and get my favorite thing in the world, which is what, Rich? A good deal. A great deal, I would say. Oh, yeah. We love a great deal. But thanks for listening. You can find me at Jordan Rodriguez on Twitter and at The Athletic Los Angeles. And you can find Rich Hammond at Rich underscore Hammond. He's got some great takes, that one. Sometimes. (laughs) Thanks for listening, guys.